You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. Well, from beginning to end of this short section, you can tell it is about conversion to Jesus. That's the whole point of this paragraph. They started out dedicated Jews out in the streets of Jerusalem, listening to this sound of many different languages, praising God, trying to figure out what that sign, that miracle meant. These are the Jews that had some of them cried out for Christ's rejection, for his crucifixion. And they end up baptized believers in the name of Jesus inside the Church of Christ. I think it's time to regain the sense of joy over a heart that is converted to following Jesus. When one person changes direction and follows Christ instead of their own path, there is a great joy and celebration in heaven. When's the last time you participated in that celebration over a life made new? In today's message, Pastor Tom is going to celebrate and explore conversion. It's a foreign concept to our world, but it's a crucial one to the life of a believer. Come along and join the celebration. Now here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 2 as he begins his message. Yes, I am trying to convert you. In a December 17th article called Truth is Not Flexible, Franklin Graham wrote, Dear friend, truth is flexible. That's the brightly lit message above a popular pedestrian bridge in the heart of Oslo, the capital city of Norway. The bridge is just blocks from the Norwegian parliament and a short stroll from the arena where I preached the gospel at an evangelistic crusade in mid-November. Norway is a beautiful, friendly, and prosperous country, but that sign is an illustration of how far Norwegian culture has drifted from its long and rich Christian heritage. Nearly nine out of ten Norwegians are members of a church just as their parents and grandparents have been for generations. But today, not even one in ten actually goes to church. As secularism has taken root and spread, many in Norway, as in our own country, believe that truth is whatever you want it to be or what feels right to you. Yet when we take our last breath on earth, that thinking won't stand. Each of us steps into eternity In one of only two places, heaven or hell. I love Franklin Graham, and I love the clarity with which he explains the truth. In an age of pluralism where all lifestyles and all beliefs are considered to be equal, requiring people to convert from one religion or one set of beliefs to another is considered wrong. It's frowned upon. But the last time I checked, there's still a God in heaven, and God still has spoken. His word doesn't change through the centuries. He certainly doesn't pay any attention to polls in one country like America that is here today and will be gone tomorrow. People better think outside the current box where they'll face the consequences. Actually, conversion to Christianity is a beautiful thing. And working toward people being converted is a beautiful thing. Do you remember what Jesus said? There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over what? 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It's a beautiful thing. There is joy in heaven when someone goes through a conversion. That's amazing. He also taught this. He said, a a physician is not needed for those who are well, but for those who are sick. He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners 
to repentance. He knew who he was after. He was after anyone who could tell they were a sinner. By the way, we're all sinners. So he was after all of us. You should want sinners to convert to Jesus. We should work together for the conversion of other people. And we should do it without apology. Yes, I am trying to convert you. It's a beautiful thing to be converted. You should want to be converted. And you should want someone to help you see the truth and be converted. All of us are thankful, those of us who are saved, that we had a conversion. None of us complain about that conversion. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 39, he who has found his life, you have all these people who are discovering their lives. He who has found his life, now here's his, his advice, will lose it. It's not a good thing to find your life, he said. <laughs> he who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake, Jesus said, will find it. In fact, the very ones who owe the apology are those who are not working for conversion. For their false love will be no comfort to those who slip into eternity lost forever. So it is our honor and our joy today to begin a short study on what we're going to call biblical conversion. What does it entail? We're going to look in Acts chapter 2. If you turn there, it presents a great case for understanding biblical conversion. We're going to go through the, the details here and really get a good picture of biblical conversion. If you ever wondered, what does the Bible really say about being converted? Am I sure I am a Christian? You're going to get a really good explanation here in this passage, and we'll do our best to explain it to you. We're going to start in Acts chapter 2 and read verses 37 through 41. Acts 2, 37 to 41. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then... Those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Well, from beginning to end of this short section, you can tell it is about conversion to Jesus. That's the whole point of this paragraph. They started out dedicated Jews out in the streets of Jerusalem, listening to this sound of many different languages, praising God, trying to figure out what that sign, that miracle meant. These are the Jews that had some of them cried out for Christ's rejection, for his crucifixion, and they end up baptized believers in the name of Jesus inside the church of Christ. Conversion, mass conversion, all in one day, probably all just in one morning, it seems. I think that you can see here that conversion is a beautiful thing. If you're reading this and thinking about what those 3,000 thought it was, they would have thought it's beautiful. Don't you agree? And, and therefore, Peter, who was working to convert them, was doing a noble thing. He was not doing a bad thing. He didn't need to apologize for what he was doing. He was trying to convert them. And 3,000 of them were converted. I would exhort you, even as we get into this, don't listen to the, the foolish intelligentsia of this world. What does the media really know about truth? If you ask them, what is truth? They don't know. 
What is the secular education system we have here in America? Understand about the kingdom of God and how to get in it and which kingdom will win out in the end. They don't know. There's a great limit to what they know and understand. To borrow the words of the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Well, this inspired text here in Acts chapter 2 is our wisdom about conversion, and we're going to pay attention to it, okay? It contains all of the necessary ingredients of conversion. It has gospel preaching. It has the conviction of sin, genuine repentance, the sign of water baptism, real forgiveness of sins, the receiving of the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then added to the membership of a visible church, the church in Jerusalem. So we're going to go through these components of biblical conversion. We're going to do them in detail. We won't get them all done today. I want to do this for your instruction. I want you to, I want you to be edified by this as you think about your impact on other people. I'm hoping also it will help your discernment as well. So component number one, that's our outline, is the components of, of biblical conversion. Component number one is gospel preaching. Look back at verse 37, if you would. The very first part of it. What does it say? Now, when they heard this. Now, I know many would want to just zip past these transition words, but it'd be very easy to do so, I know, but they really express something important. They express the power and the transforming nature of the blessed word of God. And you know me, I don't like to go past any phrase that's pregnant with meaning, so I want to talk about this a little bit. Peter preached that entire sermon, all those verses behind that. If you missed that, you may want to kind of scan through it. We just finished studying it, all about Christ, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation to the right hand of the Father, his pouring out of the Holy Spirit on his followers. Peter preached that whole thing, and I'm sure he preached it loudly. I mean, they're outside. It was open-air preaching. He didn't preach it softly. He was bellowing it out. He had boldness. He had great conviction that it was true. There was clarity in his words. He took Old Testament Psalms and he exposited the meaning of that for these Jews. He preached from the historical fact of the resurrection kind of as a backdrop. He had the other 11 apostles behind him standing there as as witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. He preached with logic. It's, it's chronological and it's logic in the way it works through. He preached with passion. We called it logic on fire. That's preaching. Please notice, before we get into any of the other topics of conversion, any of the other components of conversion, Peter was not up there philosophizing and just merely lecturing about things that he was emotionally detached from. He put his all into this. I mean, he preached hard from his own heart. He was speaking for Christ. He was speaking for the other 11 apostles. He was speaking for the 120 disciples. He was not up there trying to relate to the crowd. You have all these speakers today, and you could tell they're very skilled at it. They know exactly how to relate to everybody that's out there. Peter was not trying to relate. He was not moving back and forth and schmoozing them. He was preaching truth. He just presented unvarnished truth, and he trusted that God would do the work in the hearts that needed to be done. Do you want to be a good evangelist? Do you want to be a good preacher of God's word? Would you like to see some effect, some fruit in your own life? Well, you already have a hint here how to do it. Speak directly. Don't beat around the bush. Speak boldly. Do you believe what you're saying or do you not believe what you're saying? Don't try to make people like you. We're in the age where everybody has to be liked. Everybody has to be popular. You even have to like things here and like things there, and I want to be liked. No, in this situation, it's not about people liking you. They can be saved if they don't like you. Did you know that? 
Did you know that they could not like you at all and still be saved? God can bring them to himself even if they don't like the way you talk. They don't like the way your illustrations were. They don't like your mannerisms. They don't like you, but they could still get saved. Peter didn't care whether he was being liked. It had nothing to do with relating to the crowd. He didn't take a course on, here's how you move in and out of the crowd and make them laugh them and tell a joke here or there, and now they'll identify with you, and then you can get them saved. None of that was there. I would say he also spoke clearly. This is an untrained fisherman, right? And he's just going to talk straight. You know how some guys are. They just tell you it like it is. That's Peter. And we like that. He had forceful conviction. He said, I'm going to talk, and I'm going to let God work. Remember, the people he's talking to mostly were probably common folk also. They're not seminary graduates. They're not linguists. And they heard Peter. Peter's a common man. They're common people. He's talking right to their hearts. You can do that. These are not advanced studies kind of people. These are just normal people talking to normal people. That means that you can do this. And God chose to work through the simple, direct, clear, confident preaching of Peter. And I believe God will work through you if you believe it. You've got to believe it. You've got to believe that God will use you. Of course he'll use you. God will use you to reach people that he won't use anybody else to reach. You don't need to call up your elder, call up your pastor. Would you witness to so-and-so? You witness to them. You tell them. You're in their life. God puts you there. You have a mouth. Talk to them. Tell them what you know. Obviously, if you want someone to get saved, and that's the goal of conversion, right? Aren't you trying to convert them? Isn't that what you're trying to do? Isn't that what you want? You're not just going to have a conversation with them, right? You're not just going to fill time in the elevator as you're going up five floors. You're trying to do something in a conversation. What are you trying to do? You're trying to see them what? Converted. You want them converted. That's what I hope you want. But if you're going to have them converted, they have to hear, they have to hear the word of God. Do you agree? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? The word of Christ. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Peter preached the word of Christ. He told them all about him. He hit the highlights of Christ. Can you do that? Can you tell about the miracles of Christ? Can you tell about the death of Christ? Can you tell about the burial and resurrection and appearances and ascension of Christ? Can you tell the meaning of that? If you can, you can witness like Peter can. You can do this. Isn't it exciting to know that your personality is irrelevant? You don't have to have a personality like Peter, me, or anybody else. When it comes to evangelism and getting other people converted, God chooses to use everybody, any personality. It doesn't have to do with you. He converts people not because of you. He converts them because of his word. They hear his word and they're converted. That's why I'm taking time on the first few words here to show that. Your personality is irrelevant. God has chosen to convert people, to save people through an instrument, and that instrument is his own word, not you or me. The word, in other words, we say this in theology, the word is the means to grace. It's the avenue that brings grace to the heart. The word is the channel of blessing. The word is the power, not your forcefulness, not your skill. The word is the power. You might remember in uh, Acts chapter 8 and verse 35, it records that Philip, one of the seven, he opened up his mouth in a beginning from the scripture. He preached Jesus to the Ethiopian eunuch who then was converted immediately on the spot. What are you supposed to get from that? That Philip was just another guy 
And he was just a guy that spoke the word of God. And God used him to convert this very important person. You could talk to someone that is, uh, is greatly esteemed in the world and you could give them the word of God and they can be converted. You don't have to have some trick. You don't have to have some skill. Just give them the word of God. In James 1.18, it says, in the exercise of God's will, God brought us forth. That's talking about regeneration, bringing us forth to light. God brought us forth by, and now it gives the instrument, by the word of truth. People are so used to hearing lies, you give them the word of truth, they can be converted. God causes the new birth by the instrument of the Bible. And the new birth, what we call regeneration, is what powers and fuels and causes instantly what we call human conversion. Again, I want to say it's not about you. It is about the word of God. If you are thinking of an instrument, you want to cut something in your house, you don't go with your fingers like this. You go get scissors, right? And you do the cutting. If you want to, if you want to drive somewhere, you don't go there and pretend you're in a car. You go get a car and you use the instrument of the car to get somewhere. So if you want to convert somebody, what you need to look for is the instrument that converts people. And the instrument that converts people is the Bible. Memorize the verses, use the Bible. And yes, God will use you. He'll use you. And you have to believe that. You don't always get the same results. That's not the point. Well, but 3,000 people weren't saved. Okay, 3,333, does it matter? It really doesn't matter. Just give them the word of God. Use the mighty word of God. 1 Peter one twenty three. You have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. What kind of seed is that? That is the living and enduring word of God. It's like a seed. You plant it in a heart, you plant it in a mind, and it can cause conversion. It has all the power itself. I grow tomatoes. How do I grow tomatoes? Well, spring comes, not now. I grow tomatoes. I put a seed in the ground. I don't create tomatoes. I can't sit there and create a tomato. I put a seed in the ground, and the thing grows. Got to water it. Make sure it has soil, nice spot, little sunshine. But I put the seed in the ground. If I don't put the seed in the ground, how many tomatoes am I going to get? Zilch. Nada. Nothing burger. Nothing for the burgers either, because I like the tomatoes on the burgers. I don't get anything. How many converts do we get when we say, well, God won't use me? And we don't sow any seeds. Hmm, is right. We have to get out there and we have to sow the seeds, otherwise there's no crop. God wants us to do this. You remember Jesus likened the word of God to a seed, right? Different soils, some seed you scatter will land on the rocky ground. Remember that? It doesn't do anything. You know, some, I'm sorry, some gets snatched away by Satan, some falls on the rocky ground, some gets choked out by the thorns, that's all the cares of life. But some, some seeds will fall on what? Good soil. And when it falls on good soil, now you, you, you are not there to make the soil good. You can't. You can't make the hearts of people good. You're not there to make their hearts good. You just put the seed and see if their heart is good. That's what you do. And it's exciting. When actually something grows, it's exciting to see something grow and fruit to happen. It's exciting. Get busy. You'll like it. And of course, Satan will try to discourage you. Oh, you're trying to convert people. Oh, you're narrow-minded. Oh, you have to brush all that away. That's a satanic attack on your mind. That's spiritual warfare. We've been talking about that. Go do the good thing like Peter did. Paul had trust and confidence in the gospel. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Jeremiah 23, 29, is not my word like fire? Now, who could boast like that? Declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock. 
Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Speaking of the voice of the Lord, Job wrote in Job 37, 1 and 2, at this, at the word, also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Listen closely to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that goes out from his mouth. That's how God's word is. So if you want conversion, you want to do evangelism in a biblical way, the word must be prominent. Don't come up with some style, some scheme. It, it doesn't ma- In the end, it doesn't really matter what you did if you didn't give them the word. And you can't do anything wrong if you did give them the word, right? Say, I did something wrong. Did you give them the word? Then you didn't do anything wrong. Any attempt to muddy the word, be sloppy with the word, hide the word, make it more palatable because you don't like how it's written, forget that. God had the Bible written the way he wanted it written. If he wanted it offensive, it's offensive. You're not the cook. You're the waiter that just brings the food to the table. Don't mess it up. The waiter shouldn't say, you know what? I wouldn't have cooked it this way. Let's change it. No, no, you bring what the cook cooks. They order, you cook, they bring it, and you put it there. If they eat it, they eat it. If they don't eat it, they don't eat it. Sinners are desperately sick. They need full-strength medicine. Full-strength, not little bits. You say, but I tried to witness to people, but they won't listen. Fine, move on. How many people are in the world? So I've witnessed to these six people, and they never listen to me. Fine, six people. Six people. Come on. There's hundreds of people that are around you. Thousands if you try. Tens of thousands if you use those electronic devices. Right? Find a sinner to listen somewhere. Try a little harder. Scatter the seed more broadly. Stretch out into new areas. Don't cast your pearls before what? Swine. See, you already know. Component number two. Component number two of conversion is conviction of sins. That's the second part of verse 37, if you look at it again. They were, so they hear the word, right? And they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter, by the way, Peter gave no invitation here. If you all would like to get saved, close your eyes. We're going to have five stanzas of just as thou art. We're going to open up the front, come flooding down. He didn't do any of that. People ask, why don't I give invitations? Peter didn't. He preached the word, and they said, they said, let's have an invitation. They're the ones who wanted to create the invitation. They were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles, notice they're right there with them, brethren, what shall we do? I don't know how they said those words. I don't think I can say them with quite the way they would have said them. Of course, this is the result every evangelist wants to see. It's a delight to see hearts that are humbled, that God is humbled. They're now contrite and broken of spirit. It's like they've been hit by a mighty hammer. It's like they've been cut by a sharp sword. They were pierced to the heart. The heart, of course, is the very center of a man's being. What does the heart include? It includes your conscience. It includes your mind, your will, your emotions. The center of you, all that is you, is all the thinking, reasoning, willing person that is the inside. Is their heart that was convicted. And, and it was pierced. Katanuso is the Greek term. It's used only here in the New Testament, and it refers to the pain that you get because of a stab. Ouch. Down to the innermost part of the being. Genuinely pierced. Someone else said they were cut to the heart. One scholar noted that in Homer's writings, this Greek word was used of horses stomping the ground with their hooves. In other words, it, it convicted them. It hit them hard. It cut them deeply. It hurt. Didn't I say that last time, that good preaching sometimes hurts? When you speak to people, 
about the gospel. Don't be afraid to talk to their hearts. Talk to their mind and their conscience, but also their heart. Don't just make it be an intellectual battle. Go right to their hearts. Don't avoid saying the hard things. See, again, if you're honest, sometimes you're out there witnessing and you just want people to like you. If you go out there with the understanding they're probably not going to like you, you'll be a better evangelist because you won't worry about it. Get your friends in here or from other Christian churches. Get some good friendships so they can console you when you get yelled at. And when you go out there, just like, they're probably not going to like me. And then you'll do better. There is joy in heaven when someone gives their life to Christ. Today, Pastor Tom shared the main elements of a true conversion, and the first step is preaching the gospel. As we saw, Peter preached the gospel boldly on the day of Pentecost, and the result was many, many people coming to believe in Christ. If you know the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you can share it with that same boldness. If you enjoyed today's message on Discover Hope, we want to hear from you. Give us a call at 443-200-HOPE. That's 443-200-HOPE. We'd also like to ask you to prayerfully consider donating to this ministry to help us expand the reach of the gospel. You can give securely online at hopebible.org. Do you live in the area of Columbia, Maryland? If so, you're invited to become part of our Sunday morning gatherings here at Hope Bible Church. Join us for a morning of Bible study, worship, and fellowship. Find out more by visiting our website. Again, that's hopebible.org. As Pastor Tom continues through the account of Pentecost next time, we will see that the result of the gospel preaching was conviction and repentance. The people were so broken by the news that they had killed the Messiah that they asked Peter and the disciples, what shall we do? Deep within, they realized their sin. And that's the next element of true conversion that we're going to explore, the conviction of sin. To listen again to today's message in the book of Acts, visit HopeBibleChurch.org and look under the Sermons tab. Pastor Tom will return soon with another in-depth study of God's Word, so join us again right here on Discover Hope.